I told my students that one thing you should never do in a church is tell jokes. Okay, it seems to work for Joel Osteen. But anyway, um, he always leads off. And I, 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 you know, humor is okay, but but the jokes are not good. But I, I, I can't resist if you're okay. And, and and let me know on the way out if you'd say practice what you preach or it was okay or whatever. But my dad's 91, and uh, I went and bought a Saturn car about a year ago. And uh, went in there, and I said, I'd like to use my dad's GM discount. Well, I'm 60, you know, i got all serious. And he goes, how old's your dad? You know, is he still a GM employee, still working? Anyway, so my dad was 91 now. And my, my dad, um, when he was 85, he bought a computer. And starting then, he ripped all his uh, Laurel and Hardy, you know, VHS, VHS is onto DVDs, so he made all his own DVDs, and then uh, he started, you know, ripping all the cassettes into uh, CDs, and then he was downloading all kinds of stuff from radio, and and finally got bored with that. So he, he seems that he, with all his cronies, now um, he seems to be a repository of internet humor. And so let, let me just share one that came uh, last week. Okay, now this is a test, and I guess. Um, Anderson Consulting Worldwide uh, evidently used this and at least measured the success of this, which after I read the four questions, you'll understand what happened to Anderson. But anyway, um, how do you put a giraffe in a refrigerator? The correct answer. Now, you already thought of one. Okay. Correct answer. Open the refrigerator, put the giraffe and close the door. This question tests whether you tend to do simple things in an overly complicated way. How do you put an elephant in a refrigerator? Did you say open the refrigerator, put in the elephant, and close the refrigerator? Wrong answer. Correct answer. Open the refrigerator, take out the giraffe, put the elephant in, and close the door. This tests your ability to think through the repercussions of your previous actions. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit here. The Lion King is hosting an animal conference. All the animals attend except one. Which animal does not attend? Correct answer is the elephant. The elephant's in the refrigerator. You just put him in there. This tests your memory. Okay, four. There's a river you must cross, but it's used by crocodiles, and you don't have a boat. How do you manage to cross it? <laughs> Correct answer. You jump into the river and swim across. Haven't you been listening? All the crocodiles are attending the animal meeting. This tests whether you learn quickly from your mistakes. According to Anderson Consulting Worldwide, around 90% of the professionals they've tested got all the questions wrong. But many preschoolers get a number of them correct. So what does that tell you? Well, what does it have to do with the message? And you can see the title. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 21. The title is Moving Forward. And moving forward, so often we're going to slip up. So often we're going to fall. And I, the older I get, the more I realize that the Christian life is, in the words of Eugene Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction. It's, it's getting up and moving forward again. It's not that we have our act together. It's not that we don't fall. We do that. The issue is how do we get up and how do we get moving? What helps us have the tenacity to keep going? Well, let me ask another question. How do you eat an elephant? 
Now, now don't say you take them out of the refrigerator first. Don't, don't, let's not go. Yeah, one bite at a time. And so the students that I have, I eat, lead the evening school on Monday night. It's a seminary. We probably have about 140 students that are doing their seminary education, their Master of Arts in uh, theological studies or Master of Arts in, in community ministry leadership or Master of Divinity. They do that by going just successive Monday nights, but it's like three years to five years. That's a long time drinking from a fire hose, okay? Especially when they're almost all working full-time. So what keeps you going? Well, it's just taking one class at a time. If you've got to take 36 of those babies and pay $1,200 or $1,100 for it, you go, whoa, I can't do that. But if you just take one and then one and then one, and we just keep moving forward. And that's so critical in life. Not to get, get devastated when we mess up or upset when other people mess up but to keep our eyes on what's really important. So I thought I'd want to share that from John 21 because I can't think of anyone who messed up maybe more than the Apostle Peter, who denies Christ three times. And how does Jesus treat Peter and how does Peter get moving again? I think there's some lessons for us here. So let me set it up, set up the account from John chapter 21. The passage that I want to deal with is, is later in the text, but right at the beginning of John 21, uh, we, we see the setting, the scenario. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, Canaan of Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the um, Jesus, uh, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them. He said, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because it was full of a large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus, whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped out his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They all knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And they did, he did the same with the fish. And now this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you get the setting. Jesus appeared to his disciples once and, uh, in the upper room. Thomas wasn't present that time. About a week later, he appears to them again. This time, Tom's not going to miss it. He's present. And now this is the third time he appears to them. And it says there's seven disciples there. I don't know where the other four are, but he names, he names some of the disciples. He lists uh, Pete and Nate and Tom. Jim and John were there, and it says two others. I have no clue who the others are. The text doesn't say. If I was to speculate, I'd say one was Matthew. Because Matthew was a tax collector. It numbers 153 fish. 
who counts numbers of fish? I mean, it's got to be someone who likes numbers or maybe someone who has to be able to sell them and partner, you know, partition them out to different people who buy them. But these they're out there. Tom's with them. I find that interesting. He doesn't want to miss it after he falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God and recognizes Jesus. And there's a fire there and Jesus invites them. Now, I don't know what took place on that discussion. Because if we go ahead with our with our text, it says when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and I'm going to say more about that in a minute. But when they finished eating, how long do you think that meal took? They could have taken an hour, could have taken a half. Who knows how long? And we have no narrative. We, we don't see anything of what it says there. Nothing is recorded for us. And so we're, we're just not aware of that. But they were going fishing and now they're back. Do you ever wonder why Peter said, I'm going fishing? Now, maybe it's because, um, maybe it's because it was recreational. They're going to just go out fishing. It's recreational. Maybe it was vocational. He really needed, they needed the income. How were they existing during their time of travels? Well, people were giving donations. Jesus is gone now. Who was the treasurer who kept the money? Judas. Judas is gone now. So maybe they needed to, to eat. They needed to fish a little bit. But maybe it's just when we're really pressed, we, we fall back on our, our, our comfort zone. Those which are comfortable to us. We don't have the reason. We just know that they're there and now they're at the feet of Jesus. And now this is the public reinstating of, G, of, of Peter from Jesus. Now, as I move into this next passage... And I read these key verses beginning at verse 15. I want you to think about how does Jesus treat Peter? How does he treat Peter? Verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you really love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, some people... Some commentaries make a lot about this because if you've been around the block a few times and in church, you've heard it said that Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you unconditionally love me? And Peter responds, Lord, I love you like a brother. Peter, do you really unconditionally love me? I love you as a brother. Third time, Peter, do you even love me as a brother? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you as a brother. So Jesus changes to his terminology. But this conversation happened in Aramaic, <laughs> not Greek. So I'm not sure we may read more into the text than is there. But we know Peter denied Christ three times. And now Jesus gives him an opportunity to say three times, you are my Lord. You know all things. You know that I love you. And so it's a kind of public reinstatement of Peter. He says, do you love me more than these? What are the these? It, it doesn't tell us what the these are. Isn't that neat? Paul prays for the thorn in his flesh. Do you know what that is? 
A friend of mine was former chair of ophthalmology at Mayo in Scottsdale. He's got a whole article on it, on the eye disease that it probably was. And it could be. It makes a strong case. But the bottom line is we don't know. And that's kind of neat because we, own, we all have our own thorn in the flesh. It's kind of nice the Holy Spirit did unpack that for us. That when we have things that bug us, we could take them to the Lord also. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you love me more than these things? More than these? Jesus said, Lord, uh, Peter said, Lord, all the others will deny you, but I won't. And Jesus could be saying, Peter, do you really love me more than these? Nate and Tom, John, Jim. Or he could have been saying, uh, the count says there was 153 fish. That's the context. He could be saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? I called you to be fishers of men. And now you're back fishing again. Do you really love me and following me more than these? Well, we're not sure. The text doesn't give it to us. But we know that Jesus says, follow me. Now, it's interesting if we go on further. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Do you remember Luke chapter 5 when he calls Peter? And he performs, you know, the miracle and he's teaching and he talks to Peter. And, and Peter says, he falls on his knees and says, Lord, I, I'm a sinful man. He says, Peter, come, I'll make you fishers of men. So he's called and he says, come and follow me. That's the beginning of the, of the call of the disciples, follow me. And now here we're at the end, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. And what does he say? The message is the same. It doesn't change a whole lot. He says what? Follow me. The Christian life isn't that complicated. He says, follow me. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Okay, wait a second. Do you get it? Where were they having the meal? They didn't pull through the, the drive through window and, and keep cruising. No, they were around a fire eating. But now, this discussion, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you really unconditionally love me? Lord, you know. This is happening while they're walking down the beach. And so he turns and sees the disciple that Jesus loved, John, was following them. And he said to him, Lord, what about him? Verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. And so, you know, that, that Lord, what about John? Peter, follow me. Well, what helps us keep moving forward when we get stuck? When we get stuck in life and things are problematic, what helps us get moving forward? I think there's three things in this text. And let, let's just look at them, for example. Jesus, first of all, could have berated Peter. I mean, he could have just jumped on him for his denial. Peter, you've seen me so often. Peter, you've, you've been with me. You've been part of the inner three. I've taken you at the raising of Jairus' daughter. I brought you to Mount of Transfiguration. You've been with me all the time. You deny me three times. Just jump on him and shame him. He doesn't do that. Jesus didn't do that with the woman caught in adultery. Talk about messing up. We all mess up. She messes up. And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He says to her, what? Move forward. He said to Peter, keep moving forward. 
Or let's go into the Old Testament. Remember Elijah? Elijah, this prophet, he prays and, and, and God resuscitates this boy that died. He prays and rain comes. And on this mountaintop experience, literally, they round up the false prophets and they slay him and he's all excited and he runs to Jezreel. He takes off. And Jezebel says what? He says, you're a dead man. What happened to my prophets will happen to you. And this man of God who calls down fire and says, Lord, consume this sacrifice. And, and it's toast. What does he do? He heads south 80 miles and hides in a cave. And how does God treat him? How do we treat our kids if they acted that way? We'd use their middle name. Right? <laughs> Elijah, David, our July made you. And we talk staccato at them, shape up. Boy, what do you think this is? You know? He lets him rest, gives him some food, lets him rest, demonstrates his power that he hasn't changed. He's the God of power. And then gives him a new mission. Anoint Haziel, king over Aram, and get going again. And gives him the sidekick, Elijah, to be with him. Keep moving. Keep moving forward. And we all get stuck. We all go backward. We all stumble. And yet God says, move forward. How do we move forward when we've had a failed business venture? How do we move forward when we're struggling with an addiction? How do we move forward or help our kids move forward if there's been a relational failure? When we've made a poor decision or when we've made an embarrassing action, something that hurt us and hurt others. How do we move forward? I think there's three things in the passage I want to talk about. The first one is, I think, by keeping our eyes and our affections on Christ. By keeping our eyes and affection on Christ. Again, he says in verse 15, Peter, do you love me more than these? And, and again, we don't know what the these are, but the bottom line is it's, it's not about this. It's about you, Lord. It's not about how I messed up in my denials, in my faithlessness. Oh, I can't ignore it. I've got to confess sin. But it's not about that. It's about God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's goodness to us. He says it's not about these things. Life's not about these. It's not about the stuff that can easily entangle us. It's not about, I just jotted down some, it's not about my stock portfolio. It's not about, do you love me more than these, these games, or these friends, or this fashion, or these awards, or these pornographic pictures, or do you love me more than food, or do you love me more than your job? We can fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. Do you love me more than these? It's about Christ and realizing who He is. And then he says, follow me, follow me, Peter, and I'll make you disciples. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Galatians 5, 5 says, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And, and following Jesus simply means as he leads, we, we go his way. And he's given us the resident truth teacher inside of us. We've talked about this. That may have been my first sermon with you back in 1990, that the Holy Spirit's the one inside of us. And, and he taps us on the shoulder and says, that was a smart answer. You need to say you're sorry for that. Or we, we listen to this CD audio book and the language in there in this first disc, even though it's a great author and the plot is intriguing, we say, Lord, something says, I don't need to listen to that kind of thing. Or they use the name of Christ or God or other kind of language. I, I, don't, I don't need to listen to that. There's other audio books. There's other books I can read. There's other movies I can watch. 
And the Holy Spirit is, it, it's, it's not a youth pastor. It's not somebody else who says, you know, they play the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. If, if we're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's in there and he just says, that's not right. Or this is a good way to go. Or you have this thought about this person. You say, Lord, okay, I'll, I'll call him. It's just being sensitive and in step with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, like driving. You know, it's just, it just if, you, if you drive down um, 90, I'm thinking 394, I guess it's 12 that way, 394 the other way, uh, if, if you're making radical shifts, something's wrong, right? We sit, all driving is just really short tweaks of the wheel. And that the Christian life is short tweaks. It's, again, just saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Or we think the Christian life, sometimes we look at some really godly people and we wish we could be like that and we see that kind of trajectory, but it's, it's a daily basis. I've said God doesn't give us a searchlight to know what's going to happen two years and four years and five years and ten years. Some of us want to know that. Some of us couldn't handle that information of what all might come to us in our lives those many years down the road. Uh, within the last uh, well, two months ago, my son's house burned down, okay? Um, two months ago, my daughter was at the end of a police chase of a felon evading the police that hit her head on going 45 miles an hour. You know, concussion, broken ribs, all kinds of stuff. Uh, that happens. Tires get stolen. In the old days, probably before you were born, kind of when the earth's surface was still, you know, the water was kind of going down, we had Sunday night services. Okay, not that long ago. And Guy Poppy, a doctor of veterinary medicine, one of our board members, uh, the back part of our parking lot wasn't lit very well. He just got into his truck, started up, and not going anywhere. And he got outside with a flashlight, and his car, his truck was up on blocks. <laughs> At least you saw yours before he tried to drive and ruin the transmission. But that stuff happens in life, doesn't it? All that kind of stuff happens. I was talking with a friend just this week who was back for the, the annual conference meetings. And uh, lost a son. His son died. And he was talking about what he and his wife went through. The emotion, the grief, the, the physical, the way the physical stuff starts happening when you go through that stuff. That's all around us. And so all we do is listen to the Spirit. He taps us on the shoulder. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he says, keep your eyes on Christ. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Because he is the one that forgives. If I just look at myself and my faithfulness on a regular basis, that's depressing. There are things I say all the time I wish I don't say. In fact, my wife reminds me of that. She says, you don't have to say everything you think. Oh. But for some of us, there's like minimal filter. It just kind of leaks out. You know, we, we need to work with that a little bit better. But Jesus' grace and his mercy is there. He says, keep our eyes on Christ. What keeps us moving? It's keeping our eyes on Christ more than our problems. I mean, Peter learned this early, didn't he? Remember the situation earlier when, is that really you, Lord? Well, sure. Well, then bid me to come out there. Well, come on out, Peter. And he starts walking while he's got his eyes on Christ. Things are fine, right? And then as soon as he looks around, he goes, what in the world am I doing out here? This is so stupid. And the other guys are going, yeah, what in the world is he doing out there? And that's life. The seas of life can overwhelm us. But what gets us moving forward is keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. The second part from the text I want to say is this um, making people a priority. What keeps, keeps us moving forward? It's making people a priority. 
And because Jesus says, feed my lambs, verse 15. Then he says, take care of my sheep, verse 16. Verse 17, again, he says, feed my sheep. See, it's about relationships. It's about people. And we make it about our calendar. We make it about our schedule. And schedules and calendars are okay. Church programs are okay. Family activities are okay. But it's not about the programs, the events, the calendars, the activities, and all the stuff we get into. It's about relationships. It's about the little boy who comes by and asks you to help him build a little little um, triangular box because his dad died in a motorcycle accident. And uh, he was and he asks if you could help him build that. Uh, it's about that friend who lost his son. It's about ongoing situations. It's about people. And we tend to make ministry about programs. Even smart churches are getting they're deprogramming. <laughs> you know, there's a study, Simple Church, uh, done by Tom Rainier, where they surveyed 400 effective growing churches that di- have different types of ministries. And they found out the churches that are doing an effective job in reaching people for Jesus decided they're going to start doing less but do it better. In other words, the black hole of we exist to meet people's needs spins out more and more programs. But if we say we need to give people and help people see what they need and give them what we can do best, and then we don't exhaust volunteers, we don't exhaust pastoral staff. And stop and think about in churches we have all kinds of programs to help us share our faith and reach out to people. And do you think only my daughter was in a car accident? In uh, 2008, you think my son's the only one who had a, a house that, you know, had an accident or a fire in this case or other things? Do you think there's other people who lost sons or daughters? Do you think anyone else has been determined that they have cancer? Do you think anybody's lost a job this year? And our problems, we're just not out there being the salt and the light, just hanging around being with people, just being God's presence there. And so it's, it's not programs, it's relationships. And we've said this before, if God wired you a good listener, then just listen to, to people who don't know Jesus. Don't spend all that listening here with other Christian friends. And if God made you strategic, don't use all that planning as a board member of the church. Use some of that planning being on the city council or working on the school board or some other things. If God wired you someone that is a Mr. Fix-It, then use it with your neighbors. If he wired you someone that's able to transport and drive, i got a friend that's 97, he was driving up to two up till two years ago. Then, then go ahead, especially if you're a guy, because all the other people at nineties they're all chicks. Anyway, let's not go there. Anyway, it's one of those cases where you have to say everything you think. Okay, uh, what, are we, what am I preaching about? Oh yeah, this is uh, making people a priority. Making people a priority. It's about relationships. Even the fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit, we've spent time talking about that, and I don't need to talk about that tonight. But all the fruit and all the gifts or this morning always exist for other people. The kindness and gentleness and patience are with people. How can you be patient and kind just in a vacuum? No, it's, it's, I'm kind to you, patient with you. And so Jesus reminds it's about relationships, so we get up and keep moving. Then the third area, we need to resist, com- resist comparison. He says in verse 20 through 22, Lord, what about him? What about him? Well, it doesn't matter about him. It doesn't matter what's going on in his life or her life. It doesn't matter what other people are doing in the church or what other family members are doing. The worst thing to kill us is comparison. In a family, you know, 
why aren't you more like your sister or more like your brother? Or individually say, I wish I was more athletic or I wish I did better in this. Or I wish. And we do the comparison thing. In a church family, we do the comparison thing. And it doesn't help us. What helps us move forward? It's keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. It helps. It's caring for one another. And seeing the mission is about people. It's about helping other people. And the third one, it's about realizing the importance of not comparing with one another. Well, let me end with a, a story that I came across that makes this point. And I think it makes it well. The, the point of moving forward from the Scriptures. Quit. Give up. You're beaten. You're beaten, they shouted and pleaded. There's just too much against you now. This time you can't succeed. And as I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. And, hope's ref- and, and hope refills my weakened will as I recall the scene. For just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. A child's race, young boys, young men, now I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race. Or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. As fathers watched from far off the side, each cheering his own son, each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire. To win, to be the hero there was each young boy's desire. And one boy in particular, his dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. And trying hard to catch himself, his hands flew out to brace, and mid the laughter of the crowd he fell flat on his face. So down he fell, and with him hope. He couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. And so anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs, and he slipped and he fell again. He wished he'd quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now, I shouldn't try to race. But in the laughing crowd he searched and found his father's face, that steady look that said again, get up and win the race. So he jumped up to try again, ten yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight or ten. But trying so hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently, a tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense in running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had disappeared and all hope had flew away. So far behind, so error prone, closer all the way. I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up. An echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win the race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost at all. For winning is not more than this to rise each time you fall. 
So up he rose to win once more, and with the new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. He still gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed first place. Head high and proud and happy, no falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed that line, last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low and proud, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to that crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit. Give up. You're beaten. They still shout in my face. But another voice within me says, get up and win that race. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Get up. Win that race. Move forward. How do we move forward? Not, not looking at all the times we stumble. We do. But keeping our eyes on Jesus, who draws us continually to himself. And not being hard on other people who also stumble when they fall. They do. But encouraging them and loving them and caring for them as they move forward. Let's pray together. Father, you know that there's many things, many temptations, many areas of life where we can all fall. And in, in, cumulatively within this auditorium, we've probably covered all of it. And, and you know, we can be our own critic. But in the times when we're really discouraged, when it just seems like there's just too much happening, or we've failed you too many times. Or someone else has just seemed so callous to a relationship with you. Keep our eyes fixed on you, your grace, your mercy. How much bigger you are than those issues. And Lord, let us not get caught up with the small stuff. The these things of life. Remind us of our eternal destiny. Lord, we will see you one day face to face. Father, to be part of that forever ongoing family. And so help us not to get caught up on the small things that don't matter, but to make people matter so much more. And Lord, irrespective of other people's journey, help us to be their cheerleaders, but keep an eye on where you are taking us. There's always somebody that's struggling worse and always somebody that seems to have it better their act together more, more clearly. Lord, we ask that you would draw us closer to you and keep our eyes fixed on you. We pray through Christ. Amen.